In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie. To support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Once again, that's lls.org slash big climb. Plus minus. Tim Kawakami deserves all the credit. Plus minus. That is a word right there. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? Plus minus. Yeah, like, like you, Marcus Thompson. Marcus always tell the truth. Plus minus. The only thing that I would say to Ethan Strauss is that he's a pretty damn good reporter. Um, he's well plus minus. I think he got the highest plus minus in the season in NBA history. Welcome back to Warriors Plus Minus. We are going to talk about a last dance. Technically not the last dance, but the last dance of a certain era. Uh, it was defined by a black suit and a red tie. TK, you remember that last dance? Uh, absolutely. Mark Jackson. Dressing up, and that's like he. Sit, I remember he walks into the pregame press conference, like, "What in the hell is going on there?" And no one asked him about it. I don't think, or someone asked him, and he gave kind of a brush off answer. That's so on the I reporters remember. that were there. That's yep. on the reporters. Yeah. Oh, no, no, there. I talked. I went up to him afterwards. I did. I did. It was me. I just remember me and Stephen A. Smith talking to him on the court during uh, warmups, saying, "What do you? What, what is this?" He goes, "Yeah, I'm dressed like a mafia. You know, like a mafia funeral." He said, "Someone's he said, gonna somebody's get whacked." Getting whacked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it was a pink so, tie, by the way. Red, <laughs> pink. You know, it, it, it was red. It looked more purple on TV, but in person, Marcus, you were there. It was red, right? I remember. Yeah, it was red. Yeah, too. I saw red. Yeah, yeah. Um, it but just, it was one of them sheets. I just thought he was dressed like a black preacher. <laughs> so no, I was like, come I thought he was taking him to church. <laughs> I've seen that look many times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some, I just not how he dressed choice. normally. Yeah, he was. He was. He was signifying. Something. Was it a Sunday afternoon? Do you guys remember? Was no, this no, no. It was, those... a late, it was a late game. It, it was, was a late, late game. Well, there was three yeah, game cause... sevens that day, by the way. Yep. Yeah, I think it was the last game seven. I, Marcus, all I remember is deadline ins- insanity. I remember that. Oh yeah, it was. Like, it so. was. It was so much fun. Anyway, we've got. Kawakami, the boss man, Ethan Strauss is in the building, and we got Anthony Slater. Uh, we're going to talk Game 7, 2014, first-round series, Warriors-Clippers. Uh, the Warriors lost this game, but it ended up being kind of a flashpoint of something. And I want to start with Slater, because Slater, you were not at that game. You were not covering the Warriors at the time, but you were covering the playoffs. What, what do you remember about that game from... Uh, the other part of the country. Well, the lead up to this game is interesting beyond, I mean, we could get into the Sterling stuff and I have questions to ask for you guys for being on the ground for that. But um, what I remember most about these playoffs were like, this is when the imbalance between the East and West was at its highest. I I went back and looked at the standings. Um, The Warriors are the sixth seed and they're, I think, 51 wins. 
the I remember because I'm covering two seven Thunder Grizzlies, which was kind of on the other side. Or you know, this is whoever whoever wins this Warriors Clippers game is going to go play the Thunder. But the Grizzlies were like such a tough seven seed for the Thunder at the time because they're fifty wins at the seven. The Mavericks are forty nine wins at the eight seed. And then you look across the Eastern Conference. The Toronto Raptors have 48 wins. They wouldn't have made the playoffs in the uh, West, and they were the three seed. So, I mean, like, it was just such an imbalance between conferences. And if you remember these West playoffs, I I was reading about it. It is considered maybe the best first round uh, ever, maybe the best playoff round ever. You had three game sevens in the West. One eight went seven, Spurs, Grizzlies. Two seven uh, went seven games with the that Thunder Grizzlies series, which had a bunch of back and forth, included four straight overtime games, a record. This series that we're talking Wait, about. Wait, who are, who are the Spurs? Who are the Spurs playing? Yeah, you had the you had the Grizzlies oh, twice. Oh, my bad, Spurs Mavericks. Tony no, Allen was everywhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, Spurs Mavericks went seven, which is crazy. I mean, Spurs go on yeah. and they, to the finals, but they went seven in the first round in a one eight matchup. Um, and then the only of the West playoff first round series that didn't go seven was Rockets Blazers and it would have gone seven but remember Lillard from like 35 feet his first original like you know Lillard his game first winner. series yeah. series winning yeah Chandler yeah. Chandler Parsons given the defensive yeah. assignment if he doesn't hit that all four West playoff series go seven it might all get played on this day um so that to me what I remember most it was like this was my first year on NBA beat too it was like wow these are the playoffs you know I'm covering this just wild back and forth Thunder Grizzlies first rounder and then looking across the landscape of the league including this series we're talking about Warriors Clippers that had the Donald Sterling TMZ bombshell dropped in the middle and it was just like this this is a crazy league yeah so Ethan uh would you say this series started the Warriors Clippers Clippers rivalry or was it already started and this took it to another level? Cuz remember they were saying this is not a rivalry until you make it to the playoffs. Until you I face remember, each other in the playoffs. I I remember Steph complaining about people trying to make it a rivalry and he was saying why does it have to be a rivalry? We were in the locker room, and he was saying, "Why does it have to be a rivalry? Why does it have to be a rivalry? Why is it important?" I, I said something like, "Back when he was trying to save his relationship with Chris Paul." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was back then. And I think, I think I said, "I mean, why is anything anything? Like this is look, everyone's looking at you guys throwing a throwing a sphere at a ring. You know, they need some sort of context, something pro wrestling. Otherwise, this doesn't mean anything." And uh, Raymond Ritter, I guess, uh, started going in on me. Not seriously, but like I was being weird again. I know it's shocking. I was being weird telling Steph Curry that this sport is people throwing a sphere at a ring. <laughs> like it doesn't mean anything at all. It's totally meaningless without the whole juice to it. Like there's nothing to it other than the stories we build around it. So yeah, he didn't he want it. He told didn't Steph, want to your whole per- life purpose is, yeah. is useless. I mean, you get paid a lot of money. Get, I mean, that's good. Silly, your whole life means rhetoric. nothing, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the Hegelian d- d- dichotomy of all this, uh, Ethan. And I am, and I'm, but a barnacle on this meaninglessness yeah. as a media person, um, a remora fish, as as Dan Lebetard might say. Uh, yeah, I I don't know why he was so averse to it. I guess it was because he was trying to save his relationship with Chris Paul because this was pretty good for the Warriors to be in the mix they weren't really in the mix as having a rivalry until this point so I I don't know if it was if it was the beginning it might have been the peak because after this it was just beat down beat down beat down beat down beat yeah it was yeah it was like this could be something these are two pretty young teams great point guards 
certainly at the time, Chris Paul was considered at a far loftier status than, than Steph Curry. And the coaches were, and I think it was also the coaches were getting at it. You know, they were very friendly. I think Doc Rivers helped Mark Jackson in broadcasting and then helped him kind of prepare to be a coach. But they're also, you know, they're two edgy guys, so they're kind of throwing barbs at each other. Tyron Liu on the, on the Clippers bench kind of got into the Warriors a couple times. I, am, I just think it was kind of Am I misremembering? This... Did, did, did Doc Rivers replace Mark Jackson on the Knicks? You know, did they kind of trade places back in the day as players? Uh, don't recall that, but it, Let me see hey, this. there's always little crossovers. Like those are, as I always say, these guys and their coaching careers, it always goes back to their playing careers. The relationship always starts and is defined by that. But they're friendly. I mean, they are, I think they continue to be friendly, but, at, but friendly rivals and frenemies. And I think there were some jabs back and forth. The way that Mark coached Steph, and the way that Doc coached, you know, Blake Griffin. Looks like you're right, Slater. I mean, sorry, Ethan. Looks like Ethan's right. Mark Jackson it all, was there it all in 91, mean- 92. Oh, yeah. then, I thought you were going to say it's yeah. right. It's all meaningless. It's, we're all throwing <laughs> spears. So I mean, he is right. Behind. He's oh. pulling out Ecclesiastes oh. verses. <laughs> uh, I, I hear Ethan with a Bible. It's all vanity. I got you. <laughs> was this the we cool were talking but, on the phone? I pulled out a Bible but, verse and we were on the phone. But also, just, by the way, the, this began with the, a lot of the Warriors players hating Blake Griffin. I think that was like, you know, that happens. It's not necessarily a rivalry. He's probably the biggest star in this game at the time, right? You know, well, yeah, maybe Chris Paul. Or, or Paul. It's or definitely Paul, on the yeah, Clippers side of things, though. Yes. But they hated Blake Griffin. Bogut hated him. There are other guys who just hated him. And probably still do to this day. Bogut did and, hate and that him. Was, that was part of just kind of this, you know, again, just two teams that play each other a lot. Kind of was sort of jockeying for position, but the Clippers... Nah, nah, I think you're fun. understating it, TK. The, come on, the Clippers kicked the Warriors out of chapel. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> out of that. chapel. They decided, yo, we're not going to pray and talk well, that was about during the play- That was you. during the playoffs, right? That was during the playoffs. No, I think Not it started before. That was before that. Oh, it did? Okay. I yeah, have it before that. Can, can we get an explanation for the people listening? Because not everybody listening knows what what chapel is. They don't, Wasn't they don't that, know what it is. Now that I think about it, was it? I thought no, I think it was it was during the, the series. I think it was, it was definitely during the series, but I think it started uh, at the beginning of that year. I think it was at the beginning of that year. I have a spicier question. The first of what will be many from me from the side of the, you know, I wasn't around at the time. When was the cool story Glenn thing? Was that this series? Was that before? You that's, know, that's, that was after they won a championship. That's after, that's after they won a championship. Okay. Yeah, that's that's when Rivers was saying how lucky they were to got you, you know, got you. get all these injured players. That's when Draymond was really feeling himself, not not a bench player before yeah. this. Although series. I'm sure he, he he was clearly, you know, he could have said it any time, knowing Draymond. No uh, question. As Ethan <laughs> is asking, if we, if we want a little description here, pregame chapel is when teams you know there's a set time before the game you know where there is a minister or, or whoever on hand to give some pregame chapel for what like 30 minutes you know a little you know and they could go through their you know whatever they want to before the game religious activities it's kind of pre-booked and it's kind of set in and three or four teams. or five or six yeah but both teams will go in the room now there's been times when there's been some edginess because of this but uh, usually it's both teams or one player from a team and six from others, whatever. It's just some mix of players. And there clearly was a moment when the Clippers said, we ain't doing this with the Warriors. We are not doing this with the Warriors. And I I, I recall it for that series, but it might have been some other. There just was spiky feelings with these two teams, no, no question. It was 
It was Halloween 2013. So it was at the start of that season. So this whole thing started when the Warriors beat the Clippers in LA and they were kind of the upstart. This was Mark, like this was after the surgery, Steph surgery and the, the Monte trade for Bogut and the Warriors come into this new season. And remember they went into LA and beat the Clippers and the Clippers were mad because they were celebrating too much. Uh, and that kind of got the irritation started. It was like, y'all celebrate like it's a championship. I remember talking to Matt Barnes in the, uh, in the Clippers locker room, and they were they were just you could hear Chris Paul saying they acting like they won a championship, and then they come to Oracle and Blake Griffin hits the side of the backboard, and Baysmore on a three, and Baysmore and company absolutely lose it, mocking him on the sideline. <laughs> they go crazy mocking him on the sideline. So it was kind of all goes back to Baysmore. Yeah, right. All goes back to Baysmore. The six degrees of separation in the Warriors franchise for Baysmore is amazing, but. This it started it it gets into this kind of little, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here. There's Draymond thinking he's as good as Blake or better, and he's gonna prove it. He's gonna prove that he's better. It's Bogut like making sure everybody knows the Warriors are not soft anymore. So he's out there banging with DeAndre Jordan, uh, and then obviously I think I think the understated part that TK says is the whole. Mark Jackson, Doc Rivers thing. Mark Jackson is showing, trying to show like, hey, there's more than one former point guard who can do this. You know what I'm saying? And Doc Rivers was obviously already established. The part, TK, that I, I guess I would have, I, you kind of know, I, I was just so kind of surprised that Mark Jackson knew that if he lost, he'd be fired, or that he was going to yeah. get fired. I was like, going to ask I, you guys when this. he said it. I still was like, "Yeah, yeah." But oh, he but must think you, the other team is getting but, whacked. But have, have you ever known Joe Lacob to be subtle? I mean, has subtlety ever been Lacob's thing? I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he had just. But keep said in it. mind, he hadn't had a thing yet, right? Yeah, like, this was this I mean, was kind yeah, of the first I, I thing. Think, yeah, I think I think actually Mark knew that he was gonna get fired even if they won that game. Yes, oh no round. question yeah. in hindsight. Yeah. Right? He was gonna get yeah. fired unless they they get to the finals. I think it just had built up and built up and built up, and by that point there was really no turnaround unless there was some incredible, you know, epiphany on on either on both sides, frankly, because I don't think Mark necessarily wanted to be there anymore. He wanted a new contract. It was all about the new contract. If you really go back to it, it's about the new contract. And it was about Joe Legab thinking, do I really want to give this guy a new contract? And as that thought process going on and as the tensions grow and the little kind of little, you know, disrespect things, disrespectful things happen, uh, it just became inevitable by that point. And even as they're playing and even as they're playing for Mark and even as, you know, Steph is making his appeals for him, whoever else. It just became a thing where they weren't going to go back to him, and it was time to break it up. Even with 51 wins, even with you know all the things that were positive about this team, it was happening in many ways in Joe Lacob's mind and Jerry West's mind and Bob Myers' mind, despite Mark Jackson, not because of him. Just just the, or they would they would have to make their next step. Only the only way they could was without Mark Jackson. How soon after this did they fire him? Like was it like the, about three days, three two days. two or three days? So he yeah, knew it was he, the famous. Uh, they're going into a meeting, which I which I reported, and then while they're in the whoa, meeting, whoa, 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 let's get to that. Let's get to it. Yeah. <laughs> we got to talk about. Wow, that. wow! Let's I just got cut it. off there. Wow! Whoa, whoa. I, I, I don't I, want you to. Just, 
this this makes <laughs> we, we more sense to me. the the way Mark was acting makes more sense to me now because I remember oh, Hilton Armstrong. Totally, right? Hilton Armstrong uh, was credited for a strategic wrinkle that the Warriors employed that helped them win a game earlier in the series, and Mark was so defensive about it and dismissed it happening, and I can't remember the exact language he used, but now it makes sense because there's Mark was probably feeling like, hey, Hilton, like, maybe Ixnay on the whole, I'm about to get fired, like, maybe don't get, don't take credit for something going right in this series, I need to get another job, you know, maybe don't, don't hog all the credit as player coach Hilton Armstrong, that makes a lot of sense in retrospect, I just thought it was, I think at the time, I just thought it was typical insecurity, which to me was part and parcel with what got Mark fired in the end. I think insecurity was a huge aspect of it. TK Marcus doesn't want to talk doesn't want to talk about this anymore, Ethan. So no, no, I just want to say I wanna I wanna I like chronology. After watching the last dance, I appreciate chronology. <laughs> Uh, oh, is that a shot? Is that a 20, shot at the last? Now day? we shift to November 2010. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> let's go back to the We Believe years. <laughs> now, TK, uh, is it would it would it be a fair assessment? And please, you know, you can break it down um, as you answer. Uh, t- is it a fair assessment that the Warriors were in this game seven because Donald Sterling? situation like kind of zap something out of the Clippers? Yeah, in, in particular, I think in, in game four. Uh, I think that that was kind of the, the flashpoint. I don't remember exactly when every detail happened, but I remember, I think, wasn't it game four, the one pre- before the game they threw their, yeah, all yeah. their Clippers gear into the middle? It's like, yeah. they're up to, the Clippers are up 2-1. They're the better team. Uh, Bogut was going to get hurt later in the series. And it, no, he got hurt but, before the series. Oh, he, get, he didn't play. Did he get hurt before? Okay, he didn't play in the he series. Broke okay, his, that's right, that's I right. Jermaine, that's right, Jermaine O'Neal. Jermaine O'Neal. Yeah. Uh, so there was... They were the better team. Maybe with a healthy Bogut, the Warriors were a better team, but they weren't without a healthy Bogut. And the Clippers was win that, that the rib game puncture? Four. Was yeah, that the yes, rib puncture? Yeah, it was oh, like yes. a rib cartilage, rib cartilage where it could have poked him in the lung. And, and, I looked it and up last ball. night because I was like, why, you know, where is he? Um, and it was like Kenneth Fareed elbowed him like in the, like the fourth to last regular season game and he tried to play through it. And then eventually, yeah, I guess. And that was a huge Mark Jackson, Andrew Bogut. Split on that one, do gigantic. You, do you, do you, yeah, that was that. That was, was the biggest. Yeah. Remember, yeah, that was, yeah. remember oh, when God. Bogut, when Mark Jackson said. So this might have been after when Mark Jackson yeah. said, you know, Bogut would have played, but he heard himself sleeping, and then yeah. we run back yeah. to the locker room. Well, that 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 probably was after, but yeah, I wonder. That if was that before. No, it was before. It was before. It was initial initial injury, and I think this was another one. Yeah, this was another injury, and and Jackson. Just like he's not playing, fine. He's out. He's done. He's fine. Done. It was Here's what I remember from that: is that he goes on this rant, Mark does, and he goes, "There will never, ever be a problem in my locker room." And he does the whole thing, and he then he is like, "So don't twist my words. Don't twist my words." It's all in passion. I think I just asked him, uh, "Who exactly is twisting your words, and how?" And there was just no follow up. Like it was like he wanted to have this big, this big thing where he sort of tells everybody off, but there wasn't any, there wasn't any specificity. The only guy twisting his words was was Andrew Bogut in that situation. It was oh my god, there was such chaos yeah. back then. It was, it was, it was yeah, it was. And we talk about the you know the assistants who've been fired. One of them who was you know hiding a record, you know, trying to secretly record the other assistants ripping him, Darren Ehrman and Scalabrini, which was was Bogut's guy, and he got fired probably for expressing some displeasure with the way things are going. 
all these things were happening. It's really hard to imagine. I remember really, really connected reporters come up to me and go, they can't fire Mark Jackson, right? 51 wins, there's no way. <laughs> so I was saying, I don't know how they keep him. I don't know how they keep him at this point. When they go through the, the, the basically, you know, stripping the, the assistant coaches, uh, basically, you know, going at it with Andrew Bogut, running an offense that probably was not the best one for Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, although it ran really well in Game 7, I want to point out, except for a few key moments. And then just to think about giving him a – I mean, it wasn't going to happen where he's going to get a new contract. So you, you're going to go with Mark Jackson to his final year with this roster? It just wasn't going to happen. I mean, it was ugly. It was uncomfortable. But it, it was not going to happen. This, this thing could not continue the way it was going. It just couldn't. You could blame who you want to for it. But it was not going to step forward. And, and I'm going to ask you, Mark, and before we get into the game, I know we're getting way into this. Steph was clearly the leader of this. You got to bring Mark back. You got to bring Mark back. Do you think Steph had any idea that there were some like major issues that he was overlooking? Or was he, did he think everything was OK with him? Nah, I don't think he thought everything was OK. I mean, look, since, since you guys hate chronology, I was literally on the phone with Steph when Mark Jackson got fired. Uh, and we were, we were talking about it and, uh, it, it was, it was interesting because we, we were chatting about it. I think Steph knew Mark Jackson had some issues, but his whole mindset was, but we're finally winning. Like, how could you, how could you, he, I, I, it was personal. Like, how could you take this from me now? Like, this is the one thing that I got, right? It's the one thing that I, I finally got something going. He's like, there's no way they can take this from me. Right. There's no way they can take this from us. So I think that was more the mindset. Like if they're winning everything else, you could work out. And so we were talking about it and he was like, uh, hey, let me hit you back. It's Mark Jackson. And <laughs> I was like, uh oh, he was like, yeah, I wonder what this is. And I got off the phone and that's when I went straight to Twitter and saw the tweets and was like, wow, Mark Jackson was calling him to tell him they just let him go. And I, I mean, I don't think he thought they would actually do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, all right, yeah, sounds good. You want to go? I don't think he thought they would actually pull the trigger on it. And to be honest, I didn't either. Joe Lacob had owned the team for what three years, four two years? years, two, yeah, yeah it's, it's three going on three years probably. Yeah, like it wasn't like. And then remember, he spent a year just kind of cleaning things up and observing, so he didn't really start making moves. But he hired Mark Jackson in 2011. The summer of 2011 was when he really started making moves. So, I mean, it was, in hindsight, it was super risky when you have the best players no on the oh, team. No question. No question. Like saying, no. yo, keep this dude. And he's like, nah, we we out. That I, I, I mean, you heard the issues. I didn't know how bad they were, just to be quite honest. I didn't know... All of the end details. Uh, that was that's Ethan Strauss area. Ethan knows what I mean, right? But yeah. <laughs> I, it was. I just I I can't fathom when I'm watching that game seven. I wasn't thinking this was the end for them. That wasn't in my mind. Like in hindsight, yes, like it made perfect sense. Like you said, TK. There's no way they could have kept going. Like once you find out all the stuff, <laughs> I'm that just happened. gonna. I, I'm just getting the flashback to Lindsey Hunter threatening to fight me outside during the series. I just forgot that happened too. 
<laughs> yo, this series was so epic, yo. Like, <laughs> oh, this, this series was unbelievable. Like, there, there's so many different things. And by the way, what I always remember is I had the flu during this series. I felt horrendous the whole time. All this going on, Mark Jackson stuff going on, like getting calls left and right about what's going to happen. What are the where? You know, when are they going to fire him? What happens if he does this? And I am like sweating with a hundred and two degree fever the whole. You would not be time. in the arena if this was today. I would not have been. I certainly when they had so whatever game it was, they had the press conference to, in the morning of MT. That would have been five, probably game yeah, five. five. Yep. Yeah, that's the one. They have the steps of uh, down, you know, L.A. City Hall. They have the the Billy Hunt. I don't know whoever it was. I can't even remember who the the, the uh, players' association had. Kevin Johnson. The whole thing. They have that press conference. Adam Silver announces the punishment for and, life. Yeah, and I'm, I'm like, I don't even know if I can go to the game today. That's how terrible I feel. Like, forget about whether I can cover this. I want. Uh, I want to ask you guys about that situation because it was. I'm in Memphis when uh, the Sterling tapes. It remember, drops in the morning. I remember waking up. the The Thunder Grizzlies have a they have the late game. It's like a Saturday, I think. Um, and it was like, whoa, this is crazy. And Adam Silver's in Memphis to do like uh, a press conference that night pregame about you know the, he goes there. Ah, Memphis is great. You know, maybe we'll award them an All Star game in the future. That those kind of press conferences, but this drops that day. And even though <clears throat> this was a massive game in the Thunder Grizzly series, the Thunder was down two one. Even though they were the two seed, it turns into the Reggie Jackson game. All everyone could talk about that night, and I'm t- there was national writers everywhere in that building. Jay Adondi, Brian Windhorse <clears throat> were all there, and I remember Silver's press conference pregame in Memphis turned into an entire like you know Donald Sterling thing, and I just want like. From your guy's side of things, how did that story formulate in those two days? Like, like, do you remember hearing the news? It was more than two days. It was more than two well, days. I, I mean, like, just yeah. day it drops. I, were we in L.A. when the first news was coming out, MT? I think it was... You mean of we the were, suspension? I mean, of the... No, no, no. Uh, of that, the tapes. Them? The tapes. Yeah, the tapes were coming out. I, I seem to recall it was, like, first starting maybe when we we're ju- after game two. You would have been and in... Then game. You would have been in the Bay because it was during the game fours where the Road City was hosting. Okay, was so... It, well, I know game four was when they threw their, their uh, stuff into the... Their sweat but yeah, so the I think we were in the... So I game three, being in the Bay. I think game... Okay, maybe we started to hear. I think I might have heard that there was a there might be something coming maybe after game two. The day off, I think we started hearing really what was going on. And then game three, it's in the air. The Clippers win game three, but it's in the air. I think Doc had to address it. Uh, and then the day off before game four was when everything was starting to like this is titanic. This is a massive story. And I just remember the bizarreness of the pregame. Again, the Clippers throw. Yeah, like it, it's just a you know an incredible moment. You're just watching normal warmups are about to end up. They're about to go before the national anthem. All of a sudden, they get together all to, you know all in a circle, and they just all throw their sweat jackets and sweatpants together off into the middle of the court, and then then leave the court. It, it was really dramatic. And then game five. This is. Right, the yeah, the 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 day of the suspension, which is again four or five days later. This thing's been bopping around and protests and discussions. Then in game five is like right, wasn't Staples Center had, had removed all Clipper logos or something? Right, there was some and everything thing where, like, was black. Yeah, they, they everything, everything was shrouded black. in yeah. black. Yeah, except for like the you know like because I think like 
whoever was advertising in there didn't want to be associated with Donald Sterling. So you have no signage in the entire arena. It's just like this was a real weird mood every step of the way. But it wasn't like, here's the, here's the tapes, it's terrible, he's suspended a day later. It was like over five, almost like a week of this stuff, which is constant. It continued to go. And what game was it, MT, where you reported that the Warriors it were was, thinking about was, sitting out? Five? It was, yeah, it was before game five. We were in L.A., and they were waiting on Sterling's decision. I remember before game four, the conversation. Silver's decision. Silver's decision. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Silver. I remember before game four, there was a lot of talk. The players were like throwing back and forth what they were going to do. You know, Chris Paul still is, but at the time was this big power broker among players. And Steph was kind of gaining. I think Andre was VP at the time of the NBA Players Union. So, like, the Warriors were heavily, like, involved. And, obviously, Chris Paul was a central figure. And, like, so I remember, and I talked to a couple of players on the Clippers, too. Because, you know, they had some Warrior connections. And uh, they were like, just watch, just watch. We, we came up with a plan. And I remember them when they took off their shirts and threw it in the middle. It was, like, so dramatic. It was like, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? And, you know, and, they, and then they're trying to warm up and act like it's normal without making any faces. But... It was interesting. And then before game five, a certain player comes to me and is like, Hey, you might wanna you might wanna write this, but if if this decision ain't right, <laughs> we're leaving. We're gonna we're gonna we're we've made a plan to they were gonna like let, let jump ball get right up to the point of the tip, let jump ball happen, and then when they throw the ball, they were just gonna walk away if if Silver didn't make the decision. And they were they were trying to come up with some dramatic protest if if Donald Sterling was still uh, the owner. It was funny too, TK. That was like the first time I broke something where like MSNBC is calling me and all that. <laughs> it was like, yo, this what what what, what are we doing here? <laughs> I'm just, I, oh, I remember you. I remember you showing me the story on your laptop. I'm going, that's pretty big. That one's gonna be pretty large. It seems like uh, in retrospect, yeah. a lot of these guys wish they had done something more. Um, well, you know, Silver gave, you know, he delivered what he could deliver. So I think at that point, what, what are you going to do? He he kicks the owner who's on these recordings out of the league. What are you going to do at that point? You, you know, you're going to screw up that commissioner's playoff series. Um, so I think it worked out the way it had to work out, where they pushed the league into the most serious move it could make. The league made it, and then you continued on the series. So, like, if you boycott, so what are you boycotting at that point? You know, you're you're, you're boycotting. What what else they could could they you're possibly boycotting have boycotting racism? In, yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then you could do that at any time. Yeah, exactly. You know, right. At every time, yeah, yeah, yeah. it certainly ain't gonna go so, away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to talk hoops? But it was it was yeah, I know, right? Was like, yeah, like yeah, was there a yeah. game? Yeah, exactly. We're talking about all this, and then this, then it goes to a game seven. I mean, like they go through all this. And it gets to a game seven, which is with the Mark Jackson stuff, with the Donald Sterling stuff, with the back and forth. It's it is amazing that this series had all these things, and it gets down to a game seven with, you know, with some pretty good basketball in it. I I, I remember as being a good game, and uh, obviously in this rewatch, I was like, man, that was some that was some good play by some really good players. What's up, fellas? I got any cologne wearers out there? I mean, I know date nights have kind of been scratched lately. Maybe it's Zoom date nights. But, you know, restaurants, it seems, are creaking open across the country. And uh, if you're going out, you want to smell good, right? Hawthorne cologne is the smell for you. It also makes it good for a Father's Day gift, too. If, uh, you know, you want want to wrap something up, 
Uh, it's a perfect gift. But the way it works is simple. You just got to take a quick two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne will tell you the two colognes that are best for you, one for work and one for play, date nights, even Zoom calls. You know, even I'll go on a Zoom call. I still want to smell good while I'm in my own presence, right? And it's totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co. And use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. I was going to say, first thing I noticed, that tip-off, if you want to spin this into the game, Harrison Barnes isn't starting. Um, nope. And I thought that, you know, and, and to bring it to you guys, I mean, this is, he's a seventh overall pick. This is, you know, end of his second season. Meanwhile, the guy that got picked 35th overall is going to end up starting and playing 40, 40 minutes. I think Barnes got like 20-something pretty meaningless minutes in this game. Oh, uh, you mean O for O and O yeah. for Harrison Barnes? <laughs> um, so I'm just like, how much of a disappointment did it already feel like he was already? Oh, for one. At, at, you know. uh, I think yeah, I might he... have written an article asking if he was a bust. But, <laughs> I mean, it, it was not going great. Uh, a lot of it, though, is he did not get along well with Mark Jackson. Those two do not like each other. Um, and so that was a definite subplot. Uh, really, they both should have been starting. Harrison, Barnes, and the 35th pick. Um, no David both, Lee or what? Yeah, well, David Lee was. Well, I mean, pro- the, David Lee was killing them in this the pro- game. The problem Jesus. was they had no centers. <laughs> they had none. Bogut was out. Uh, Azili was out, and J- uh, Jermaine O'Neal had a broken wrist that he was playing through. I think he and tried Lee, to give it a go. Issue. Too. Also. Yeah, yeah. He, he was just he was just done. He was at the end of his and, career. And nobody knew you apart. could. And nobody knew you could do like Mike D'Antoni, PJ Tucker. Like back then, nobody knew that you could even try something so crazy. But they did. No. They did try it for a they few did. minutes. Yeah, they, they tried did. it for a few in this game. Yeah, they absolutely. But in this game, David Lee had to play center. Like that. That that was his role. He had to play. And center. most Spates. And most Spates gets big minutes. This was act- ten, yeah. This yeah. series was when Draymond started. This is when he first. He oh, took Draymond over the looked, Draymond looked great in this game. I mean, and it's weird because his three point shot is it's flat like it's always been but it's just it's like more springy everything's more fluid the confidence um, too more he's shooting with much confidence. more confidence well i one note i wrote down that in the first few minutes is how freaking good is draymond in game sevens incredible i mean how good is he this first is like, quarter 10 he, points four oh, for four boom, boom. two yeah, threes exactly <laughs> just all over the place he sets the tone there's for sure yeah he just there's something about gaming you know they haven't had one in a while but uh the, the guy meets that moment. If you want a Game 7 player, freaking Draymond Green. There's no question about it. And the Warriors start off fast. They hit some threes, including Draymond. And Steph's not even shooting. And, and they're off to a lead, which is usually a pretty good sign for them, I would imagine. Uh, you know, they're, they're, ta- they're, they're kind of taking it to the Clippers. And I think the Clippers looked a little tight to start this game. I, I, I would say that. And I'll give Mark Jackson credit. About to get fired, but these guys were not, his guys were not tight going in this massive Well, pressure's game. big time on the Clippers, right? I mean, they, yeah, they are considered much the superior, like, team and, the ser- you know. Plus, well, but plus the Sterling stuff. I mean, again, so many different little weird nooks and crannies in this one. But yeah, they were considered a championship, potentially a championship team. They they really were con- considered that. And, they probably should have beat uh, the Thunder in the second round too. If Paul doesn't have just this gaff of, uh, of the the year in Game Four in uh, or we're doing Game Five in Oklahoma City. 
By the way, guess who saved the Clippers in game in second quarter of Game Seven? The one guy that the Warriors, the Warriors defense has never been able to figure you, out. Your favorite Jamal Crawford. This was the the game of the Crawfords. This was the battle of the Crawfords. This game. Jordan Crawford. Round one. Jamal say. Crawford. <laughs> so he started torching. Jamal got hot in the second quarter. And kind of, and and really kind of saved them, brought them back. They were they were in a bad place, and you could tell the Warriors were getting confident. And they were loose, and the last thing you wanted this Warriors team was to be free. Like they when they when they felt like when they felt no pressure, they were insane. Like like they were insanely good. They still hadn't got to the point yet where they were able to handle pressure. That's when they would get tight. They would turn the ball over. You know, it, we would see that we saw them in the previous years, like struggling to get it across half court with the series on the line. But when they felt loose, man, and I think the second quarter is where the Clippers kind of made them feel tight again, and the, and the, and they got rolling. And a big part of that was because they just they Andre Iguodala is a guy who usually can figure out how to guard somebody, but that herky jerky kind of Jamal Crawford style of play just doesn't. They don't really have an, a way to stop that. It, it's just too weird. It's too not regimented. There's no scouting report for how he plays basketball, I don't think. So they always have a rough time with him. And then at halftime, you got yourself a good game. You you got it. It's lit. It's One lit. TK is like, hey, you ready? That's when you elbowed me. Oh, like, I, write the game of your life, yeah. sir. Yeah, like this thing is going to be, yeah, I was thinking this thing is going to be ridiculous. Hey, you, you and were, it might you be a dumb. You were into this game, TK. You were into yeah. this game. It was a good game. TK's a good flu game. game. And this was his flu game. It was my flu game, my flu series. Uh, but it was a really good game. There's a lot on the line. I mean, that's those are fun. And like, when there's so much on the line, the Clippers would be an embarrassing loss. Home game seven loss to a supposedly not ready Warriors team. Warriors theoretically playing for Mark Jackson's job. Warriors theoretically, you know, playing to get to the second round again, a 51 team, maybe to make that next step against this great Clippers team, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan. For, I mean, it was on the road. It was great. And we had those seats empty, like, yeah, like three great rows right behind staples. the Great seats. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it was, man, you're, you're feeling, was you're absolutely feeling it. And I think I remember, was this the game, before the game is when the Warriors announced the Mission Bay Project? I think it was before Game 7. I remember talking to Lakeham on the floor at Staples Center about the Mission Bay Project. So I think that all was happening, too. Uh, Mark Davis was sit- I said hello to Mark Davis courtside before this game. Steve Mnuchin. I mean, there just was a... Anyone it was see a him? buzz. <laughs> was he? Was he there? I saw him like nine a... times on the broadcast. He was like right behind Doc <laughs> Rivers. Anyway, sorry. There was a <laughs> buzz about this ball game that was uh, I, I liked. I liked. I liked being in those moments. Plus, you know, you're like Jesus, it's like nine fifteen and it's the second quarter. You know, you have that buzz too. Like I, we we, we got to write it really good right now. We don't. We're not gonna sit there scratching our chins about this after the game. We are writing it right now. Uh, and and those are fun. So I wanted to ask you guys about the Crawford thing. He makes maybe the biggest play of uh, at least the middle part of the game. That I thought that four point play that got Draymond his fourth foul. Um, so he completely changed a monster playoff game. Uh, and I know over the years, Marcus particularly has kind of been beating this drum. But like that in those last few years, maybe the Warriors should have signed him and used him as kind of like a bench option. Um, maybe a better signing than like a Cast, be a Jarebko, a, a Nick Young. Um, do you guys think that they should have? I mean, in, in retrospect, should the Warriors have one-year veteran minimum Jamal Crawford at some point? Because he was very available the last few years. Ethan? I mean, Steve's so against that. 
That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> Basically, right? I was going to say yeah. that. Steve's right. against it, but should they have? I, here's the reason. And look, it's not. it doesn't have to be Jamal Crawford. I think what they needed was a threat. They didn't get threats. They got guys who the defense are like, yeah, let's see if you can do it. They wanted <laughs> right? Nick. They wanted no, Nick, I mean, Young, Nick, Nick, Nick Young. Young. Yeah, he yeah, didn't Nick, scare yeah, that anybody. Was their, he didn't yeah. scare anybody. Yeah, that was their. That was their compromise because he's bigger than Crawford. So Steve could imagine him. You know, Luke told him he could play some defense, and you know, maybe he, he did, kept maybe trying he didn't. to tell us but, how Nick yeah. Young was like. He's you know not bad. Yeah. He can really defend. And yeah, then it was like, yeah. oh, so that was their compromise to get someone they thought could do what Crawford could do. But was a, could could maybe give them a little more. I'll just say I, I don't want to rip. I love Jamal. Everyone loves Jamal. Great guy. When he was a warrior, he was great. Uh, how many times has he been in on a playoff team where they've collapsed at the end of a game because he's in there some three guard setup and the other team just scores every single time. He might put twenty five up himself, but there's just like there's when the Clippers have collapsed in these playoff games. It's been because Jamal Crawford's been on the floor part of it because they probably should have needed. And a also because they didn't have Steph Curry or Kevin Durant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I mean, I mean if you're gonna hide somebody, that's yeah, who you hide yeah, them with. It, yeah, it, there's various. I, I, I'm not anti Jamal Crawford. I'm just not as big on him as, as Marcus is. Obviously, I don't know if Jamal's as big on Jamal as as, as much as Marcus is, but uh i don't love those kinds of players for exactly for the same reasons that curry does is like sure he might get you five shots in a row and you're gonna be plus three but if he goes oh for five you're gonna be minus nine in in a five minutes you know in a three minutes and then he hurts you when he's bad more than he helps you when he's good i i, I do believe that i get it like it makes perfect sense my only mm-hmm. thing if you know if i was like discussing this with steve Kerr, i'd be like that's not a consistent standard you use. You telling me Quinn Cook is is helping you on defense? Nick Young, like they play all kind of guys who don't play well, defense. They 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 faked <laughs> so it with Nick Young, but yeah. it's Quinn like Cook all right, was point, I mean, but, but you literally got Omri Caspi. He don't play any defense. Like yeah, they say yeah, that, and then they talk, go and get dudes yeah. who don't play defense. So it's I'm a saying, size if you're gonna too, do that, yeah. at least get somebody who scares the offense. Who who the offense isn't saying. Hey, we're gonna give you the open shot. Like that's that was my thing. At least be a threat. Somebody put somebody over there where if you got if they got an open shot, the defense is like, yeah, well we can't leave that guy. And they were getting guys who was like, I mean, yeah, if he beat us, he beat us. <laughs> and I don't know that that was the best move. I, I can see two or three games throughout the Warriors playoff run where you could they could have really used Jamal Crawford. I can see four or five games where playing them. 12 minutes would have really hurt him so is he going to take Livingston's minutes is he you know no he's going to take Ian Clark's minutes you know he's going to take you know uh you know uh, you know who whose minutes was he really Nick Young we could clearly say but there weren't a ton of minutes there when you talk about the way the Warriors play it's switching defense how many times would he have been isolated on James Harden the Rockets would have made sure that happened how many times would they made sure that LeBron is isolated on him those are the things that Kerr really worries about and and not just Kerr in that organization and I see why Jamal Crawford wasn't the guy that they picked. Just uh, I, I I agree with a lot of it. Again, there are games where he picks you up on him by himself. I think there are more games where he hurts you. I think if there was no drop off from who he was in 2014 to the rest of his career, then yeah, he could have been really useful for them. But if he's not scoring efficiently, and he wasn't scoring efficiently in his late 30s, no shame in that. One of his last games, he had 50. But you're right. Yeah. 
I, I think, yeah, if he's not scoring efficiently, then that's that's about it. Even if the Warriors were pretty desperate in that last playoff run for anybody who had hit an open shot. And they had Jordan Crawford in this one, you know, different kind of scorer, but man, that was Jordan Crawford's in the game for the Warriors, basically playing point guard. And what's he doing? He's waving Steph off. Go over there. Uh, let me go. And hey, Crawford, Jordan Crawford made some huge baskets in this game. But is that what you want? Like, hey, put Steph in the corner, put Clay in the corner. I guess Clay wasn't in the game at the time for most of it, but like just let him go ISO. ISO at the top, Jordan Crawford for four straight possessions. I just don't, you know, it wasn't great in this game. It was okay, and it would not work in the If you just showed me this, I would have guessed he was sixth man of the year. I mean, like, if I didn't. <laughs> Here's what I remember of Jordan Crawford that season was. Um, you know, they always say, look at people, look at guys' arms to see if they're in shape, to see if they're really getting it together. He had normal people arms, and he would be the first person whenever we entered practice. It, you would always pass by Jordan Crawford going the other direction whenever we were let in because he was not staying around for any extra work. There wasn't any kind of extra extra li- lifting, anything like that. It was uh, punch the clock when you arrive, when practice is technically over, boom, gone, that's it. And maybe it served him well in the game seven because he was loose, man. <laughs> he, he was. was. <laughs> he looked awesome in this game. I mean, he truly was like, really, was how about moment. that putback? How about that one hand putback flying one he had? That was hey, insane. Quick, quick, quick aside. 20, uh, last year's NBA finals. I take, I take Quinn Cook. I like Quinn Cook, but I can see if you didn't. Tell me who you take in over Jamal Crawford. Alfonso McKinney, Jacob Evans. <laughs> Jonas Damian Lee. How many minutes did Evans get? I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying you, you had no option. Yeah, yeah I'll take Damian Lee. I absolutely yeah. take Damian Lee. They, no they screwed up. Yeah. They screwed up, and it might have cost them the finals. I think with that decision. I mean, look, I'm not killing them because I think it was a tough choice between McKinney and Damian Lee. But I think that might have that. Who knows? Maybe that swings it for them. Not having that extra guy who could shoot was a killer just mad you just need you got to have somebody who can threaten 20 points like that's what defense yeah, is no, respect. yeah but the, the, but you they're making these decisions because they think the other guys have more can give them more they didn't the guy all you guys the, all the guys you mentioned didn't date except for damian lee i think he could have given them more but you know jacob evans is drafted and kept on the roster because they think he's potentially a main rotation two-way player he was a zero-way player it turned out but this, this zero is zero game player why they can, yeah zero zero game zero zero game player. they also zero but zero bucket player i know that uh it just you know you're looking for versatility just to give them give us four minutes you know patrick mccaw before it all broke down was that player for them give us four minutes when you can guard you know whoever give us those four minutes and maybe it turns into six and maybe you don't make a shot or two, but you are you can blend with Steph and Durant and Draymond and Clay and Iguodala. That's what they're looking for. And and they got real specialized on this. Yeah, no they question. did. They did, yep. And, you Which know, makes Jacob sense. That, you get he it, was, right? And, yeah, yeah you, you want guys who could plug in in game four against the Rockets. But if if they can't do that, then they can't do anything. Like, hey, Jamal Crawford looks great in games. 64 in you know in washington dc maybe not in game two against the rockets but but in game that's two what against the clippers yeah. <laughs> i guess lou yep. williams <laughs> yeah uh, get him against just, dudes just, like that he give you 25 yes again i know like everyone loves lou williams and maybe he'll be great in the playoffs this year give me the great playoff series that he's he's won for somebody you know like i and yet iguodala has won a finals against 
against LeBron James. So I, I'll always go to those guys. I'll always go to those guys over somebody who I think whose singular talent is to put the ball in the basket. So quarter, quarter three happens, and uh, the Clippers kind of regain control of the series. And it sets up for what really was a pretty epic fourth quarter. I remember talking to Alvin Gentry after this game, and his response was, man, if Steph Curry had five more minutes, he would have beat us. <laughs> uh, and something something really clicked with Steph. I know you coined it. I think you might have coined it, TK, uh, Angry Curry, like Steph Curry against the world. At some point, yeah, Steph he Curry seemed versus to, with me, yeah. It's, at some point... Uh, it seemed like a switch flipped, and he just decided I'm gonna drive every time. He ended up with nine free throws in the fourth quarter, but it was he like was he could for feel it sleeping away, yeah. and it was like, yeah, nah, I'm just gonna go to the rim every time. And I had never seen that from Seth before. It was just all downhill. Everything was downhill, downhill, downhill. It felt like you know him and Jordan Crawford almost pulled this thing up. <laughs> It was creative. <laughs> yeah, if he, we just would have let deferred to Jordan Crawford a little bit more, maybe everything would have worked out. Uh, you know, he got to the line sixteen times in this game. Of course, made all sixteen. Uh, it was uh, it was an, it was different. I mean, we haven't really seen Steph do that since maybe one of those Toronto games. You know, where no one else was going to shoot the ball, but this was determined. Steph beat his guy off the dribble because they were obviously playing him for the three. And, and not try to pass it off. It was like, I'm getting to the rim. I'm going to seek contact, get it, and see what happens, and, and make the two free throws. He was fantastic in this game, that fourth quarter. Again, just free throw, free throw, free throw, free throw. They were, they were in the bonus with like eight minutes to go. Uh, it was a, a, a playoff level. I mean, this is in playoff, like get to contact, seek the contact, and make the freaking free throws, and then play defense. And they played some pretty good defense. I mean, again, they, you know, the fourth quarter was like 39, 37, whatever it was. But that was mostly because you're fouling at the end. You're giving up free throws. Both sides are, are giving up free throws. But there was some defense played in this game by both sides. Uh, that I, although, by the way, uh, Mark, how many times did Steph fall down in this game? <laughs> Jeez, what was he doing? It was crazy. He, 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 he was frail, though. He was. I think yeah, after this that, series is when that, he got stronger. When he decided that, to work that, on his that body. was a thought that hit me is that some of these clips where Steph got cooked um, or fell down would have just been all over social media if he was at the status he is now. But he wasn't at the status where anybody resented him or was trying to mount some sort of Kendrick Perkins case against him. So it just all fell by the wayside. Slater, Creative who jumped out to you right. watching this game? Oh man, um, many Draymond. If we, full game, uh, Blake Griffin was was good. Um, Blake Griffin had the biggest play of the game. That like absolutely acrobatic and one where how about the way he fell, saw it go in while he was falling that down, was and then, like that, after that suplex. point, he was like, yeah, they're gonna lose. How about that? Like <laughs> used his like top side of his back to like flip himself back up, which was. I, I don't know. That was wild. Uh, kind of had a rough you. series up to this point too. Like Draymond really had his number until Game Seven. Yeah, um, I, I thought you know he he made the biggest plays down the stretch. Uh, DeAndre Jordan had some big offensive rebounds. Um, you know when we were mentioning Steph, I thought the creativity with the foul drawing, um, particularly when he knew they were in the bonus in the fourth. It's the only reason they were in the game. Uh, was you know he would get in front of Chris Paul and then do the Chris Paul to Chris Paul like on a fast break like. He was dribbling, and then he'd stop a little, and Chris Paul would kind of bump into him, and it's like, oh, two free throws. Um, and as Tim mentioned, like we had, I'm surprised that he didn't take that from that game and use it more in his career. He kind of hasn't done 
as much of like the creative, like I'm driving by you, but I know you're trailing me. I'm going to jump back into you stuff. Uh, maybe as much, uh, but you know, this is a desperate moment game seven where you're going to maybe throw your body around a bit more. TK after the game, we had some fun. Uh, oh my. <laughs> some more fun as if the series had not given us enough. There was a certain locker room incident. Remember that? <laughs> oh God! Yeah, this is one time so, where, like, I've written a time for like. Sometimes you have to bag the post game because you're writing the column. I did not bag the post game scenes for this one because I knew stuff was going on. And yeah, we're waiting outside the the, the visitors locker room at Staples Center like you always do for the cooling off period because we're not even going to the podium stuff. I don't think directly. And who's waiting there outside the door, very frustrated, not let into the Warriors locker room? Joe Lacob and Bob Myers. Uh, like cool, literally cooling their heels outside the locker room because Mark Jackson is not letting them in after that game seven. Uh, I was like, okay, that was where if I had any question that Mark Jack was going to get fired, it was clarified in that moment because... He was basically setting up, like, you are not part of this. Joe Leggett and Bob Myers, no, that you are not up, part yeah. of this. The door <laughs> is closed. You are not coming in. Jerry DeGrorio probably was on the door, by the way. Uh, it was just such a scene. And then Mark comes out. I don't think, do you remember Mark? I don't think Mark said a ton in his press conference, but then Steph comes out there. I'll always remember that one. I mean, Marcus described what that was like to, to watch Steph. At that podium, was I in there? I think I was chasing down. Were you? The, oh, maybe you weren't. I think oh. I was chasing down okay. the whole locker room fight. Okay, well that was all. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, you're going to bring up that. Okay, go ahead. You tell that story. Uh, I, don't I told another. Was, one. Yeah, I was. Uh, no, that was good. Uh, remember, everybody thinks it was Tyron Lou, but somebody walked by the words locker room and yelled, "It's awful quiet down there." And, yeah, and, created, and in Staples, the locker rooms are very close and, to each other. And it so created the first the tunnel like scuff or at least an <laughs> yeah, attempt where yeah. the Warriors were trying to get into the Clippers locker room to find out who who has something to say. And it became this big old ordeal. And I think Jermaine O'Neal was trying to get in there <laughs> and nobody wanted to mess with J.O. I, I, I think I remember that. I'm not sure I remember Steph's press conference. Maybe I wasn't I, there. I do. Okay, Steph's I, press I conference. Steph, he's like, I remember Steph's press conference. Yeah, the, the, go ahead. Ethan. Well, just that he was very he, – he professed an optimism about Mark not being fired. I think uh, he was asked if he would be fired, and he said that that wasn't his expectation. But everything had an edge. He was not happy. He was not happy with – the questions a little bit he wasn't doing he was in a suit he was in a suit so that was you know that was different than what we're used to now and i i just remember him like the attitude was why would they do this to me like why would i'm saying what i want i am pretty important he wasn't saying these words but that was the whole feel of it why you know and it's not just me you know it's Andre Iguodala, it's Draymond, it's whoever else you want to list. And why would they go against what I'm saying? I'm willing to say it now. I am saying it on the podium for everyone to hear. Why would they do something I don't want them to do? Uh, that was totally the feel of it. And, and and then, yeah, so when I'm going there, definitely firing them. Then I see Steph do this. I'm going, well, maybe they got some work to do to get there when Steph feels like this. Uh, although they, you know, they were definitely a hundred steps down the path, not, not two steps if, down the path. If the this. Warriors as an organization are oddly unreceptive to their superstars wants, and there is a strain of that. And people are often surprised that the Warriors 
don't do what Steph wants or maybe minimize his massive contributions, or maybe you have Joe Lacob say it's not just Steph. I do think, even if they should handle it a little better at times, there is an origin to this, which is that Steph badly wanted them to make a decision that was completely the wrong decision, organizationally. Not on the court, but as far as what they needed to do as an organization. And it also shows why you can't necessarily just do everything that your superstar wants. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes they're, they have blinders on because they're focused on the immediate task at hand. Steph didn't know any better. I mean, he had, he had only had, this was the best coaching situation he had had in the NBA at this point. And he didn't know that it could be better. But if you do your research, you do know it can be better. And it was better. Yeah, but. But they had to be better. I mean, it would have been a very different situation if they turn around and hire, you know, somebody goofy. And and they could have. I mean, I don't. I mean, I think Stan Van Gundy's a pretty good coach. I don't know how great he would have been with this team. Uh, I don't know. You know, I think Lionel Hollins was on this list. I uh, I don't. Fred yeah, Hoiberg was, uh, was on the list, right? Fred oh, Hoiberg was, was actually was... the one A alongside Kirk, because that was Myers' former client. I think I think and, Stan Van Gundy yeah. would have been whiplash. That would have been too much in the other direction. And yeah, I, I don't know that would have worked. So Kerr becomes the perfect hire, becomes and that's who essentially they wanted the whole time. But they had the whole Knicks thing to go through. I think if you mess up with Kerr, or if Kerr is a lesser coach, then we think obviously we think about this a whole lot differently, and Steph thinks about this a whole lot differently. It was Kerr who made this the right decision, for sure. I mean, whether or not we believe what they would have done with Mark Jackson if he had come to a contract extension, if they had stayed, everything had, had not blown up like this. But it was that they had the right choice. Like I keep writing when the foreigners were allowed to fire Jim Harbaugh if they wanted to. They just had to have a better guy coming after, and they didn't. And the the Warriors had every right to fire Mark Jackson when they did. It's who that you know. You're the owner. There was some friction. He wanted a contract extension. It wasn't going to happen. You move on. But you better hire someone who can get more than 51 wins. And Mark called me that day, the day he was fired. I remember it clearly. Like he buzzed me when I was talking to Myers. It was a little embarrassing. I left. I called Mark. He goes, "All I got to say is that's a you know Western Conference championship level team, and they better do better than that then." Uh, and and they did. But I mean, I do think he set the right parameters. Okay, you fire me, do better than me. He didn't think they were going to, and 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 they quite. I can't get over did. how he handled things. This is reminding me of it all. Just, Mar- <laughs> I I almost appreciate the gall of it, uh, just the boldness of it of how Mark Jackson. I mean, the audacity is kind of he, amazing, he, right? <laughs> he ran his team like his bosses weren't his bosses. Like it, it was like I don't. It, it's so hard to wrap your mind around. Of get out of here. It Jerry happens West. some. Yeah, it it's happens. How it used to be, though, like, right? Yeah, in many ways, yeah, right? Yeah, like. Eric Musselman is a freaking rookie NBA coach, throws out Chris Mullen from his practice, throws him out. You know, it, like it happens. If Phil Jackson, you, you know, yeah, you think Jackson Jerry Krause or Reinsdorf was in yeah. the building for, in, the, in the practice? Yeah, yeah, nah, yeah was, but that's yeah. but that but that's Phil Jackson. I mean, that's that, that's, but it was, that's how cachet. it operated before. That's how it was operated. Like, you know, that that's that was just an old school mindset. The coach was. The president, right? And I think it, it still a happens a lot. We just cover a team that like has this unbelievable symbiosis that's like kind of rare, honestly. Um, where across the league there are major GM, you know, coaching fishers. But, but it was also that, that that Mark wouldn't let Joe hire assistants to to help. I mean, he was just well after Mike after Michael Malone. Yeah, that yeah, was, that was what happened. Like Mark got the job partly because Michael Malone was in the, the head coaching hunt and, and Joe loved him. So hire them both, same agent, 
Uh, and then Mark did not like the credit that Michael Malone got. And then Michael goes off becomes a head coach, and they never replace Michael Malone. And I get some of that. I mean, I, Mark wanted people who were loyal to him and not looking for their own stuff. But that was the first real blow, I thought, to the, to the Mark Jackson tenure was losing Michael Malone because then they started to lose – that staff started to lose the trust of Lakeup and Myers because they really believed in Michael Malone coaching. I was just going to talk about Lindsey Hunter approaching me after game seven. Oh, you and Lindsey Hunter. Go ahead. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. <laughs> no, no. I was, I, I was remembering just the chaos of that coaching staff and how Lindsey Hunter was mad because I wrote something about how the remaining coaches didn't have a great track record. And there was the thing before uh, during media session where he came up and he was saying that he wanted to see me outside or whatever, which was just confusing. It's like, to get outside of Oracle Arena, which is where they were having practice, I mean, it's like you can't just step outside. It would take a while. You know, it would, like, be a be a while to fight Lindsey Hunter in the parking lot at, like, 2 p.m. in the middle of the day. Um, and then, I guess after that, like, after Game 7, he came up to me and he was saying that, you know, I misunderstood or he was just joking or I don't even... I don't even know what I, I even like call, after I because I had my microphone out when he did it. I, I was calling my editor at, at ESPN. I was like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't want to be in the news. I don't want to, you know, have a whole situation. Oh, no, not you. Ethan. Not me. You would never do that. You never. <laughs> I didn't can't imagine. I didn't. Yeah. I think it was something that was kept under wraps until Zach Lowe. I was on Zach Lowe's podcast and I guess he knew about it and he asked about it. But yeah, I've been Lindsay Hunter, not a popular human being in the industry. I'll put it that way. So this is not a surprise. Any of that happened. It was a bad staff. I, I've told Mark this myself. I said you had you had a beneath hold on. NBA hey, level hold on. Staff. Was 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 your lunch with Jerry D game seven? Was that before game seven? Yeah, it's game seven. Yeah, <laughs> dinner dinner with Jerry D. I wrote about it today, so that's what Mark is talking about. We're sitting in one space open in the Staples Center media room. He's got to sit next to me, plops down. Full dinner, right? Full, Full tray dinner, dinner yeah. Marcus. How many and words? he ate that. Oh, he didn't, I, I said hello to him. He didn't, he didn't say hello say to me. A word. He grunted and then ate that thing so I couldn't believe how fast he was eating. But he was going to eat every freaking bite of it and then finishes up. Less than a minute, I'd say. That's what I remember, Marcus. Would you say less than a minute? Picks up his tray, gone. Jerry DiGorio and me. What a wonderful relationship we it had. It should be so. noted that you spent a large part of that year talking about how terrible he was. <laughs> I didn't. Where would I say that? Where would I say that? I did say the staff was bad. I don't think Pete Myers loved me very much either, by the well, way. Pete, so. Pete Myers, at least, is a summer league coaching legend in his bell bottom. So at least he had that He had that going for him. Oh, Pete Myers was the guy that replaced Michael Jordan. So there, that's all. And, and Ethan, you know this one. His most famous lasting uh, impression on the Warriors, he taught Andre Godala how to play golf. Pretty important right there. That's pretty That's big large. time. It's large. Um, yeah, it was a terrible assistant coaching matters, but we can't always really know what's going on um, in that realm. But that was clearly a situation where it was unraveling. I do think there's a lesson to it all. I think that Mark probably gets more out of that run with the Warriors if he's not so insecure about being replaced. Him being insecure about being replaced precipitated his replacement. I, I think that was part of it. He didn't want anybody. Well, here's the other thing is after, who, who was, who was going to come join his staff? You know, like he still had to hire two assistants. If he stays another year, who, what assistant coach is going to join that staff? 
Reggie Miller and uh, Travis Best. I mean, I, I mean, who, who the hell I mean, would you look, as the, that, as, after that would happen? As the resident black guy, I got to bring up this idea of a black coach being secure. Uh, I don't think Mark Jackson handled nearly as many things right as he should, including this whole, I don't need to interview for staff. I already, I've been interviewing my whole time as a broadcaster uh, when we asked him about how do you pick his staff, but in what universe could he be secure? <laughs> in, what, in what world could he be secure that his job wasn't under, like he wasn't on his way out if anything went wrong? But the way Not he was handling it, I mean, I got it. It would have been. He was fake handling to be it like secure. he was the most secure. It was the weirdest thing. He was handling it like it was the least no, secure thought and he, the most secure. No, he thought he was under attack. He thought they were watching him. He thought they were plotting against him. And some of it was absolutely like they were his own, yeah, manufactured, <laughs> right? Like he thought they were putting people on his on his staff to watch him, and you know, but like in no universe. Does he feel secure? Like, yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, I think he. I don't think he, he took, handled it well, think, but like, yeah, yeah. Just, but you know, there's there's other there's insecure white coaches. I mean, you know, there's Thibodeau does some weird mm, crap. Uh, every you know, and there's a guy who's gotten plenty of jobs. Don Nelson does bizarre crap. Uh, I, I think yes, there's some of that. There's no question that Mark Jackson felt some like I am in a position where this white guy Michael Malone's getting the credit, and that's just so you know. And I get that, and I support him, Mark Jackson. I I still write that all the time of how you can never never discount the importance he had to this team. You can and Kerr says it himself, and he's right, and he better say it because it's accurate that this doesn't happen without the foundation that Mark Jackson built in three guys, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green, pretty three pretty important guys. But And they, they say they still had that sign until this season when they moved to, to Chase Center. The Mark Jackson, right? Just, Just us, us yeah. for us, yeah, in the locker room through all this. KD and got it and they pointed to eye, by the way. No, yeah. they they pointed they they were pointing it to me through these championship years, and it 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 is still part of who they are, but Mark absolutely elevated exacerbated it, yes, elongated <laughs> and made made it worse, made it worse, made it worse, and drove them crazy. Like remember the practice in L.A. Marcus oh, at UCLA yes. where they're like two hours late because Steph David Lee. Who else? Uh, you know, three of them, four of them were at Mark. At, went to Mark's church, church service. Yeah, and the and then like you've got Bogut and Steve Blake and Harrison maybe just like waiting around and the media because we were told to be there for like two hours late because they were at Mark's practice for the playoffs for the freaking playoffs. Uh, stuff like that drove them crazy also, and you know I think they believed that he spent. Went too much time in L.A. You know, there was all these other things that you can add up to, including some of it being a black man, you know, reasonably sure that he's under less, you know, security than a white coach would have been with the exact same accomplishments. But Mark did not help himself no, in any he, way. He didn't help himself at and, all, at all. And I think Mark Jackson was under the mindset I mean, he was operating like a guy who had won a championship and should get that amount of respect. Like he's in his mind turning the Warriors from a 26 win team to a 49 win team and then a 51 win team was absolute proof he knew what he was doing. So who are you in this in in the front office 
Like, just leave me alone. I got this. Oh, Let me do remember my thing. The, remember I the speech this. that it's been a long time since any of you have seen a 50-win team? Oh, yeah. He said he said to us in the media, long time, long time. So like, the, wow. the idea in his mind that you could ask him to change his assistant coaches after he just turned his whole franchise around was evidence that he wasn't secure. It's like, wait a second. I just literally did this. Look at Stephen Clay. Like I made, like I made the, these dudes are killers now because of me. And you're still saying that's not good enough. So in his, like he is like the, uh, the, I guess the caricature of the, the, the middle-aged black male existence, right? Where you don't trust nobody. <laughs> you, you already feel like you already got the chip on your shoulder. And also this is how he's always operated by creating the antagonist, right? This is how he was in Reggie Miller's ear. Like, you know, yeah. he, well, he's the, his, the his brand of Brown, charisma. Right? Absolutely. His, no his brand of charisma was to the players. I've got your back. Everybody else is against you. Absolutely. You know, and that, and you know who else was like that, by the way? Phil Jackson, no question, no. And he question. would say, Phil did that with Michael. Yeah. Mark Jackson would say all the time, like, "Do you think Popovich has to deal with this? <laughs> like, Popovich has to deal. <laughs> you think Popovich yeah, has to deal with this? Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, he He's thinking, I played 17 years. I'm an all star. I'm a legend in this game, and I just turned around a franchise. Like I've been telling y'all, know what I'm doing, and I'm showing y'all. And in his mind, if you said anything. Like you were against him, and it's obviously an exaggeration of the perspective. Like he obviously took it too far, but yeah, I could, I could. And then to keep in mind, how many times was Lindsey Hunter and Pete Myers in his ear, like being his Boudini Brown? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like you could, you could just That's see how man, all man, that man. came to a head. Yeah, I do wonder sometimes. I don't think it would have lasted a ton of if Michael Malone doesn't get that job, which you know he. It was kind of weird that he got a job off a bad Warriors team, a decent Warriors team. Um, but if he keep, keeps that job for another couple of years, he and Mark might have split anyway. But Mark respected Malone. He, should, he had to respect him. And Malone respected Mark. Uh, you know, I think you know, both rolled their eyes at the other at times, but they respected each other. And while Mark, you know, and although Mark did get mad, remember the right? Michael, like he knew his dad. Yeah, like, you know, Brandon, yeah, Brandon yeah. Malone. Yeah, but although remember Mark, the first time I really sensed Mark weirdness where there was a story about Michael Malone, and Mark like called the writer and accused him of trying to undermine him. It's like the story was not that. It was Brendan Malone just bragging about his kid. I mean, at some point you're the head coach. Yeah, yeah, you are the head yeah. coach. Yeah, you just got to accept that. And people are going to write about other people. And Mark flipped. Do you remember that one? I think it might have been a it was a chronicle story or something. And Mark went crazy over a story about you know his number one assistant getting praised by his father. Uh, <laughs> that was weird. That was the beginning of some weirdness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, See Slater, you missed all this. You missed all the good stuff. <laughs> it was it was a terrific podcast listening. I, I feel like I'm just listening. To a podcast. <laughs> I can't. All right, what do you got, Slater? Non Mark well, Jackson. Off the on the heels of that conversation. Um, no, I just you know the Clippers are considered to I'd say conservatively have what a bottom ten crowd in the league, bottom five crowd in the league, fan base at least. Uh, I thought the crowd in this game was really good, and it was a reminder that. What we will miss in these Orlando bubble was it playoffs. half Warriors yet? Foreign no, fans it wasn't. Yet? It wasn't. Because <laughs> yeah. in the no, in the no. in the following year, 
<laughs> it was. But even but even that creates a cool environment of like yeah, one no side question. going up, the other side going up, where it was just like, I don't know. I mean, I know the Game 7 adds to just like, you know, the intensity in the building, but just all, and not even just the crowd, the people wandering around, all the game ops, just everything. Um, meanwhile, I right now, we're I love talking staples. about. Yeah. But meanwhile, right now, we're talking about, you know, playoffs without fans. And I just. Man, they're going to have to do some creative stuff to make it anywhere near the type of just viewing experience it is to watch that game seven yeah, go be. on. All the are we going to are they going to like you were watching I'm watching some of this Bundesliga stuff and you hear the players yelling out like, you know, play calls and where they're going and who to where to go. Are we going to are they going to give us that? I would love to hear that stuff. Like, you know, the, not Draymond, the, but like a Draymond like player on a on a playoff team yelling at his what? teammates to that would be you know, rotate shit. That would be great, yeah. but, the, would but there's a that. reason why that. the Warriors always go to Draymond again and again and again when TNT wants mic'd up. The other guys don't want to do it. The other guys don't want to be on microphone like that. Draymond. Well, we might hear it anyway. I'm saying, yeah. like, yeah, you, you just hear it. Arena, yeah, you, you just hear. I sometimes hear Draymond in in a loud <laughs> arena from 20 rows up. Yeah. So, like you know, I, I just gonna hear. Is the players, you know, is the players' association going to submit themselves to that level of scrutiny? Because there are things yelled out in that court that are that are not nice. <laughs> They'll have to know. They'll have to be aware. Yeah, that, that are not that are not. Honey nice. Nut Cheerios comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are things that are going to throw them into a lot of controversy, a lot of backpedaling. We've seen what what has we happened won't be when, there. Some, when lip when lip <laughs> well when lip readers just on TV see something Kobe Bryant says. You know, they, there is. I I think. Look, I want it. I want there to be an HBO version of this. I would love it. That's why I love sitting courtside for games. But I don't know if the NBA is ready to open itself up to that scrutiny, even though I think it probably has to, because I think the crowd is much more important for NBA games than it is for these other sports. And it's going to take something away if they don't have it. It's going to take a whole lot away. It might even take away intensity from the players. Like watching this game, a lot of they're feeding off the crowd. And like, sometimes we, that, that sounds like a cliche or a bit corny, but like, you know, I feel like that's the Warriors whole thing, ain't it? Like it was kind of built on playing to the crowd. Can you imagine like, Game five of the West Finals here in Orlando, and they're just like in an empty gym. And it's like- the G League showcase, basically. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the NBA has got to be a little careful. Right now, there's a bit of an assumption that, well, in quarantine, people want anything, and they'll lap anything up. No, it has to be good. It has to be good. That golf exhibition with Manning, Brady, Mickelson, and Tiger, that was good. That's why it got people paying attention. The Last Dance, The Last Dance had Michael Jordan exclusive content. That was good. If you are just trotting out sports and you think that everybody's going to resonate to it, I mean, people might, if it doesn't have the right packaging, if it's not done correctly, people might look at it like a goofy little tournament that doesn't really matter and isn't a championship. I mean, I think that they've really got to do a great job presenting this thing, and it's not a slam dunk that, everybody in america is gonna care i so, think they gotta definitely. they just need to learn from the nfl they gotta take some cues because the nfl figures out how to present this and that draft was really good <laughs> like they, they put that i was surprised by how good that was so if they are and then the, the nba did horse young group yeah yeah exactly <laughs> the, the nba did horse and it was terrible and nobody cared nobody watched. If they are the advanced young crowd and you know the the next you know they should be able to pull this off i, I think anyway but that's another podcast that means we're done with this one if ethan's going off about the nba uh game seven last takeaways what did this series mean for the warriors let's start with you slater 
Um, you know, I mean, I think it, I think it led to a smoother ability to fire Mark Jackson, which led to the career. <laughs> um, I'm, I, I wonder what would have happened if they won the series. And, you know, that Thunder Warrior series would have been fun to cover from both sides. Um, and then, you know. Katie never leaves if they lose the series, huh? If the Warriors yeah, win the series. Huh? I don't know. Uh, you know, how do those playoffs go? Uh, but, yeah, I, overall takeaway, I don't know. That that was probably it. Like, the just the Mark Jackson aspect. I mean, this is the last game he's coached. He still hasn't got a job after this game. Wow. Yeah, wow. That's crazy to think about how long ago that was. TK, what did this series mean for the Warriors? TK has signed off. He has bid adieu. So for Tim Kawakami, I will say uh, David Lee's terrific play. He got so dominated to, to close that stretch. Oh, man. It was, it was brutal. I mean, it's not fair. It's DeAndre Jordan, which he shouldn't be guarding anyway. But, man, it was brutal. It was bad. I would say this series... This series awakened like Draymond Green. Not just it awakened his game and let him know he was good, but it also awakened anybody who was watching to see that this this tweener dude who came off the bench is probably going to be more than that. <laughs> and we got to see that in this series. Like he was so great defensively that you you just couldn't miss it. And injuries forced him into it. But coming out of this series, it was very clear that at some point he was going to have to have a bigger role, and I think he knew that too. Ethan, you go last. My takeaway, uh, Draymond, what you said I think is huge. I think it was the first the first real playoff moments, and he was starting to tap into what he could do. And the other takeaway is, man, the offense looked terrible. God, it's just guys standing around, just doing nothing, just standing with their with their hands out waiting for Jordan Crawford to save them. So the Warriors' offense has come a long way. I know that's not exactly a revelation, but I was reminded of it smacked in the face with it that they they really took a huge leap after this particular series. You don't like Game 7 isos of Jordan Crawford? Is that what you're saying? I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I maybe in isolation I like the isolation, but cumulatively – uh, over the course of entire seasons plus the playoffs, no thank you. No thank you. All right, we'll we'll come up with something for next week. Maybe maybe we'll get into the Houston series. I, I really want to do that. I know Slater wanted to do this game seven through his time, but I like when Slater was there in the building. So all right, all right. I was that bad time. on this podcast, huh? No, you weren't bad at all. <laughs> we got insecure Slater. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> We might talk no, about No, you were great. No, you were great. I you was great. joking. Good. <laughs> Are you going to fire me? <laughs> I saw you were praising you 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 were praising Danny LaRue. Like what was that? You were play, praising LaRue earlier. What was going on there? All right, and fellas. That, and that means it's time week. to go. 